Uh, hello, Mr. Ascaris. Welcome back again. Thank you for having me, Henry. How are you doing today? I'm well, thank you. Just trying to get through the humidity. How about you? <laughs> yeah, me too. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> um, I guess we'll get started right away. Uh, so today will be uh, like some clarification with what's currently going on with the Green Party, since mm -hmm. uh, there was some controversy uh, during the last few months. So mm -hmm. could you give us a brief timeline of what happened, starting with uh, criticisms or I don't think we can call them criticism, but just like a labeling of people as anti-Semitic within, uh, within the Green Party itself? Well, uh, so the leadership contest ended in October of last year. Uh, in early October, uh, Anime was uh, declared the winner. Uh, I was uh, myself finished second out of uh, eight candidates. It was a close race, but she won uh, the contest, became the leader. And I would say for the first five or six months, uh, on the surface, things seemed to be going quite well. And, um, and in fact, I think Anime was, uh, was receiving very favorable coverage from the media and was, giving, was being given every opportunity by the mainstream media to present her vision of uh, you know, what, what the country should uh, be like and what, what our party wanted to achieve, um, which is unusual for a Green Party leader because typically the mainstream media have ignored the Green Party <laughs> over the years. So things were uh, looking rather uh, promising for the first five or six months. And then um, in about April, I believe it was, um, we saw those of us who are members of the party and don't have necessarily a lot of insight into what's going on internally, that in fact, uh, what was happening publicly was not did not reflect what was happening within the party itself. And uh, what I'm referring to is that in April of this year, um, people who were close to Anime Paul, including a former campaign manager in Toronto, in Toronto Centre, went to the Toronto Star and insinuated that there were people on federal council who were obstructing Anime's uh, uh, objectives, uh, and, and they were doing so because of racism. These were very serious allegations. Uh, I don't think any real evidence was put forward to support them at the time, but there was a series of articles in the Toronto Star which uh, I think created a lot of concern amongst Green Party members about what was actually going on within the Green Party internally. And then the following month in May, purely by coincidence, um, uh, Israel began to escalate its attacks on Palestinians, uh, particularly in East Jerusalem, which has been illegally annexed by Israel. And this is something that the uh, Canadian government has long recognized, that Israel's annexation of East Jerusalem is a violation of international law. And, um, and quite quite understandably, various uh, progressive organizations, human rights activists began to call for Israel to be held accountable for what it was doing. And things really came to a head when Israel launched attacks on the Al-Aqsa Mosque in East Jerusalem in May. Uh, and this was at the end of Ramadan. And this is the third holiest site in Islam. This was shocking to many people. And, um, you know, we in the Green Party in 2016 uh, adopted a policy. This was before Annie Paul was even a member of the party calling on the Canadian government to impose economic sanctions on Israel, including an arms embargo, until it began to respect the human rights of the Palestinian people. And so many of us within the party began to call on enemy Paul in May, when all of this was going on, to advocate for the party's policy, to say that Israel should be subjected to economic sanctions, but enemy Paul didn't do that, and in fact put out a statement which more or less conveyed the impression 
that the Palestinians and the Israelis were equally to blame and all they had to do was return to the negotiating table. If anybody who anybody who knows the situation or studied the history of uh, the, pal the plight of the Palestinians understands that there is a grotesque disparity in power between the two sides. Israel has all the economic, military, and political power. The Palestinians have very little, and the Israelis are using that power to steal occupied Palestinian land in violation of international law. And unless the international community imposes sanctions on Israel, dialogue will need to need to nothing but further suffering for the for the for the, pal for the Palestinians because they have no leverage, they have no power in that negotiation, and they're bound to end up with an unsatisfactory and unfair result if they resort to dialogue in this context. And so, uh, two of our MPs, in their own way, Paul Manley and Jenica Atwin, expressed disagreement with uh, Annamie Paul's approach to this in this issue, and uh, did so on Twitter. And Annamie Paul's senior advisor, Noah Zatzman, shockingly then put a post on his Facebook page, which he pinned to the top of his page, uh, referring, uh, saying that unspecified Green MPs had engaged in anti-Semitic conduct and vowing to defeat them and to replace them with Zionists. Uh, this was on May 14th. And for four weeks, Annamie Paul said nothing about these smears directed by her senior advisor at RMPs. And in fact, beginning in late May and early June, he doubled down on his smears and went to the national press and specifically identified Paul Manley and Jenica Atwin as persons who had engaged in anti-Semitic conduct. And why, according to him, were they engaging in anti-Semitic conduct? Why did he accuse them of that? Because, because they had said that Israel was engaged in apartheid and ethnic cleansing. Uh, this is simply a statement of the reality. Israel is engaged in apartheid and ethnic cleansing, and it's outrageous that our MPs were smeared by the senior advisor of the leader as anti-Semites just because they told the truth about what Israel is doing to the Palestinians. Uh, matters came to a head on June 10th when Jenica Atwin, who had not been defended by the leader and who had repeatedly asked for the leader to intervene and defend her from these attacks from her senior advisor, announced that she was leaving the Green Party and joining the Liberals. At that point, many people within the party became extremely uh, upset and began to demand Annamie's resignation or removal from the leadership office. Uh, you know, there was going to be a no-confidence vote held by federal counsel uh, on July 20th, but Annamie brought forward a confidential arbitration proceeding and managed to persuade an arbitrator that the no confidence vote would violate her employment agreement, which the party's members have never seen. Uh, the party's members don't even know how much she's being paid. We've never been officially uh, informed of that. We've heard lots of rumors, but we don't know. Uh, and as a result, the no confidence vote was called off. And now, uh, you know, the litigation is continuing. We don't really know where it's all going to end. Uh, there's, we're kind of in a limbo in terms of our leadership heading into the election. Uh, and we may get more clarity on this uh, in about 10 days' time when the party is going to have its biannual general meeting uh, at which the leader will speak, and uh, there may be various motions from the members uh, dealing with these issues. Okay, uh, so let's go, so from this timeline, let's try to go, go through it point by point. So first I want to touch on uh, Mr. Noah Zatzman, who, who also called you anti-Semitic, called uh, Mr. Paul Manley anti-Semitic, called Jenica Atwin, as well as I think also the leader of the Green Party as anti-Semitic. So given, so do you think there are any ground behind these allegations? And also, why do you think if the fact that um, 
uh, Ms. Anna Malipo have this different position on Israel and Palestine than Mr. Paul Manley or Ms. Jenica Atwin have, then why are, is he labeling all of them and including you yourself as anti-Semitic? Well, he's doing what uh, fanatical, he, and he, let's be clear, Noah Zatzman is a fanatical supporter of Israel. Uh, if you look at his social media commentary, you know, it's not just this one post, it's a whole series of posts on his Facebook page about Israel. He denies, apparently, that Israel is committing any human rights abuses. I mean, this is outrageous. You have to be living in an alternate reality to believe that Israel is not committing egregious human rights abuses. Uh, B'Tselem, an Israeli human rights organization, accused Israel of committing apartheid last year second worst crime against humanity. Yeshdin, another Israeli human rights organization, accused Israel in 2019 of committing apartheid. In 2017, Professor Richard Falk, who happens to be Jewish, one of the world's leading international Jew uh, jurists, wrote a, a, an ex exhaustive report with Professor Virginia Tilly in which they concluded that the evidence Israel was committing apartheid was overwhelming. That was their word, overwhelming. Human Rights Watch earlier this year a U.S.-based mainstream human rights organization accused Israel of apartheid. Amnesty International has repeatedly documented Israel's acts of ethnic cleansing and the fact that it tortures Palestinian children. For several years, Amnesty International, a mainstream U.K.-based human rights organization, has accused Israel of torturing Palestinian children. Anybody who thinks that Israel is not committing egregious human rights violations is living in a world that is completely divorced from the reality. Uh, and that's Noah Zatzman. Noah Zatzman's accusation, and he made it quite clear in his comments to the press, of anti-Semitism was based entirely on the fact that we had accused Israel of ethnic cleansing and apartheid. Our accusation is 100% supported by the evidence and by the law. And uh, I think it's absolutely shameful that anybody, Noah Zatzman or anybody, but particularly somebody in the leader's office, would accuse people who are defending the oppressed Palestinian people of anti-Semitism just because they're calling out Israel for its human rights abuses. That's just outrageous. There's nothing, nothing of substance backing up the allegation. Noah Zatzman should have been removed from the leader's office immediately. And, uh, you know, I, 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 to this day, I'm absolutely flummoxed as to why uh, it took the intervention of the federal council to remove him from that position, and it wasn't done by the leader herself. Okay, so before we go deeper into that question, I want to go back to the bigger bigger picture here. So like uh, when we criticize Israel or when anyone criticizes Israel, it's often being called as anti-Semitic, either by the mainstream media or by people uh, who support Israel for one reason or another. Um, so what do you think this, uh, again, this rhetoric of labeling people as anti-Semitic who are just criticizing Israel, like what is the motivation behind it and why do you think some people are doing it? It's to discredit us. I mean, it's, it's, it's absolutely crystal clear, you know, accusing somebody of anti-Semitism, it's an absolutely uh, devastating accusation where the accusation is warranted. It should be made anti so we should have zero tolerance for anti-Semitism and all forms of racism in our society. But it's leveled against supporters of uh, the Palestinian cause who are, in fact, uh, opponents of racism to silence them and to discredit them. Uh, because, frankly, if we get into a debate, a real honest debate about what Israel is doing, which is based upon facts and based upon the law, the defenders of Israel will invariably lose that debate. They can't win that debate because the evidence in the law is stacked against them. 
And so what do they do? They try to shoot the messenger. They try to discredit the people who are making the arguments and presenting the evidence. Uh, and that's what this has been about. And I think the vast majority of people today understand. Uh, they've come to understand because they've seen this pattern of behavior so often from supporters of Israel. They reflexively resort to an accusation of anti-Semitism against anybody who accuses this racist, brutal apartheid regime of human rights abuses because they want to silence us. Okay. Um, yeah, so jumping back to the Green Party. So Ms. Jenica Atkins switched, uh, switched party from Green Party to the Liberal Party. Um, so on your website, I will be quoting you here, you wrote that uh, Greens across the country are deeply disappointed that the relationship between the leader and the Green MPs has deteriorated to the extent that uh, Jenica Atwin has crossed the floor to the Liberal Party of Canada. So, however, I think there is a lot of criticism towards Ms. Atwin that her motivation is actually personal and more towards like her political career, because I think she switched her, like changed her opinion on Israel and Palestine. Um, so. Um, do you think that she used the pretext of like Israel-Palestine conflict to cross the floor? So what is your opinion on that? Uh, first of all, I think she made a terrible decision going to the liberals. Uh, you know, from the, when, uh, from the perspective of a you know, socialist like me, the liberals are a complete fraud. They present themselves as progressive, not just on the issue of Israel and Palestine, but on climate change, uh, on military policy, uh, on imperialism, they present themselves as being progressive, but in fact, they are a right-wing party. And those of us like myself who have been watching the liberals closely for decades, I grew up in this country, uh, I ceased believing their rhetoric a long time ago when I learned that Jenica was joining the liberals. I knew without any hesitation that she was going to be forced to compromise on her core principles. So she made a mistake in going to the liberals. But just because she made a mistake doesn't mean that the leader isn't to blame for her departure. The fact of the matter is that the leader's senior advisor for a period of four weeks was smearing Jenica Atwin as an anti-Semite, falsely accusing her of anti-Semitism in the press uh, and on his Facebook page. The leader did nothing to defend Jenica. Jenica, by all accounts, was trying to persuade the leader to intervene and to defend her, and the leader was not responding to those uh, quite understandable requests. And finally, she looked across the political spectrum, said, I cannot continue to be a viable candidate in the Green Party because my leader's own senior advisor is falsely accusing me and publicly accusing me of anti-Semitism. So I have to go somewhere else. You know, now the NDP, as I understand it, doesn't accept uh, people who cross the floor. They have a policy. So, and they also didn't reach out to Jenica. So the NDP was not an option for Jenica. Uh, she certainly wasn't gonna go to the conservatives. They're even worse than the liberals. And so she decided, well, you know, of the options available to me, the, the liberals, I think I'm, I'm, I'm interpreting what she was thinking. I don't know for sure. But I think she looked at the, you know, based on the very poor options available to me, uh, I'm going to go to the liberals. If I were in her position, I would have uh, become an independent. I would not have joined the, the liberals. I would, have, I would not have tolerated the senior advisor of the leader publicly accusing me of anti-Semitism. But at the same time, I would have, grasp that going to the liberals was going to make things even worse uh and so yes i think she made a terrible mistake going to the liberals but i understand why she felt completely unwelcome within the caucus of the green party of canada okay so um so so the cbc i think noted that the, the israel-palestine conflict changed the canadian political climate so how do you think this in impacted the, uh, the canadian political climate and specifically within the green party itself 
uh, I'm sorry, how what impacted the Canadian yeah, the, climate the, most the, the, the conflict between Israel and Palestine? Well, I, I, one thing I noticed, you know, is that this year there was far more discussion in the mainstream media and amongst politicians about the fact that Israel was committing apartheid. It was very difficult to have that kind of conversation before uh, this year. But I think the Human Rights Watch report and the Betselem reports that I refer to uh, changed the nature of the public discourse immensely. And then when Israel began, you know, expelling people from their homes, Palestinians from their homes in, in Sheikh Jarrah, when it attacked the Al-Aqsa Mosque at the end of Ramadan, which shocked many people, and then began another bombardment of Gaza, which killed dozens more Palestinian children. People said, you know, we have enough, we've had enough, and we are now going to, you know, openly acknowledge the fact that Israel is an apartheid state. So I do think the the discourse has changed dramatically, and it's a matter of time, you know, whether it's a matter of a few years, if a matter of months, before politicians in the West including our own country, are going to be forced to face up to the reality that Israel is an apartheid state. Uh, that day is coming, and I think it'll happen in the reasonably near future. Okay, and uh, speaking uh, of this, uh, this discourse coming and changing, so why do you think the leader of the Green Party herself did not like, challenge these allegations or fire Ms. Mr. Zatzman? You know, I, I, I Henry, I, I, I'm, I would have to speculate, right? Because I, I've not spoken yeah. to the leader about this as to why she conducted herself the way that she conducted herself. You know, my best guess, and it's only an educated guess, is that Anami uh, is uh, sympathetic towards the state of Israel. That Anami, uh, you know, identifies with uh, the ideology of Zionism and uh, that she fundamentally has a lot of difficulty acknowledging the fact because of her own ideological positioning has a lot of difficulty acknowledging the reality of what Israel is doing to Palestinians. Uh, I, I, I can't imagine uh, that Noah Zatzman, you know, said the things that he said to the media without enemy's approval. I just find that very difficult to believe that the senior advisor would have gone to the press and said these things about MPs of the Green Party of Canada without uh, Annamie's at least tacit consent. Did she in fact consent to him saying these things? You know, I don't know, but it seems very difficult to me, for me to believe that he acted entirely on his own initiative and without uh, some form of approval from the leader when he said these things. Mm -hmm. And speaking of um, Mr. Noah's husband, so, so he, she, he accused uh, you Mr. Paul Manley, Ms. Jenica Atwin, as well as the leader of anti-Semitism. Anti but mm -hmm. I heard that she, uh, he is also the friend with the former leader of the Green Party, who uh, I think Elizabeth May. Um, and I think um, Ms. May also said that um, the, what's happening in Israel is worse than the apartheid in South Africa. So why mm -hmm. do you think Mr. Zatzman's attack did not extend to uh, Ms. May, but only confined to you, uh, you four people? Well, uh, you know, uh, he did say to the press that he was excluding Elizabeth May from that accusation. That's true. Uh, but I think that Mr. Zatzman's overall commentary about Elizabeth May uh, raises questions about whether, in fact, he really does uh, support her. Uh, in any event, whether he, whatever he may or may not have said to the media at that time, I don't think he was aware when he excluded Elizabeth from his accusation that Elizabeth herself 
had accused Israel of committing apartheid back in 2018. Uh, and you can still see this to this very day. She returned from the West Bank. She did a press conference in Ottawa with uh, Alexandre Boularis of the NDP and with a Bloc MP. And not only did she say Israel was committing an apartheid in that press conference, she said that what Israel is doing to the Palestinians in occupied territory is much worse than what the Afrikaner apartheid regime in South Africa did to South African blacks. So she went even further than uh, Jenica Atwin and Paul Manley have ever gone. But as I say, this was back in 2018. It was at a press conference that got almost no coverage from the Canadian media. And uh, at that time, Noah Zassman was a liberal. He was uh, part of Kathleen Wynne's Liberal Party. So I don't think he was uh, aware at all about the discussion uh, at the leadership level about Israel and Palestine uh, prior to 2019. I would be interested to know how he feels about Elizabeth May now. Now that he knows, he almost surely does know, that Elizabeth went even further than Jenica and Paul did uh, back in 2018. Um, I suspect that now he would have he would express a different view about Elizabeth. But again, I don't know. Uh, you know, he, no one has asked him this question as far as I know. Mm -hmm. uh, then come to something you do know or maybe know to a limited extent. So because there's currently this secrecy behind the leader of the Green Party and the rest of the party members. So from a party member's perspective, um, can, can you speculate what's behind this secrecy and what do you think of this secrecy in general? Uh, well, secrecy with res uh, I look to me the number one um, the number one secret that we as members of the party should be concerned about is enemy's terms of employment. Um, you know, uh, there is speculation that she's being paid a salary that's far in excess of uh, anything that any prior leader of the Green Party of Canada was, has been paid. Uh, there's speculation that uh, her employment contract gives her complete control over communications by the party, which uh, to my understanding was never uh, a right that it was accorded to prior leaders. Um, and uh, there apparently are other provisions which are unprecedented in her employment contract. Whatever her employment contract may or may not say, uh, I think that the members of the party, of any political party, not just the Green Party, should know what the terms of the employment of the leader are. We are entitled to have that information. You know, even shareholders of a for-profit public company are entitled to know the terms of employment of the senior executives of the company. Uh, we're a political party, you know, invested in the whole project of democracy. So the argument that we should have that information is even stronger than it is in the case of a for-profit company. Uh, so to me, the number one uh, issue of secrecy is around the leader's employment contract. Again, I, I, you know, I, I think you'd have to ask Annie why she, she quite clearly doesn't want the terms of her employment to be known. Uh, I think you'd have to ask her why that's the case. Um, but whatever her reasons may be, uh, I think it's absolutely unacceptable that the members of the party don't know what the terms of her employment are. Okay, so... Uh, so can you talk about a bit like the speculation around her salary, her her unprecedented power? Like where does those allegations or speculations come from? Well, I, I'm not entirely sure, you know, where uh, they're coming from in the press because they've always been um, reported by the press as having uh, been uh, com conveyed by anonymous sources. So, the you know, the pre press, I've seen reports in the CBC and the Toronto Star about this. Uh, you know, who their sources are, I don't know. Uh, I've also heard this myself from people within the Green Party of Canada, but, you know, I, uh, I'm, not, I'm not at liberty to share who their identities. I don't know if they've actually seen uh, the contract. 
but there is, you know, a number of sources have reported that this is in fact the case that the enemy is being paid somewhere between 180 and 250 thousand dollars a year. Um, and, you know, my understanding is that Elizabeth May, uh, before she became an MP, was paid seventy thousand dollars a year, uh, and that when she became an MP in 2011, the party ceased to pay her a salary and uh, her compensation was derived exclusively from her uh, you know her salary as a parliamentarian paid by the government of Canada and I also understand that uh, you know before Elizabeth May when Mike Harris was the leader that he served for free as a leader for two years and then uh, after two years he was paid a salary of fifty thousand dollars so if in fact these reports about enemies employment uh, compensation are correct it would be vastly in excess of anything that any prior leader of the Green Party of Canada has been paid now maybe there's you know some justification for this but uh, if that's the case we should have an open and honest discussion about it the members should be told what the salary is and they should be it should be explained to them why it's that high and they should decide for themselves whether the explanation is uh, is is persuasive uh, but not telling them at all what the salary is that that to me is unacceptable mm -hmm. so given the current situation within the party within the leadership so how has your uh, your your opinion of uh, uh, Ms. Paul changed uh, throughout the through her appointment to the current situation? Well, I'll just say, Henry, that this last few months have, uh, you know, certainly diminished my confidence in her leadership. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. And and you know, people make mistakes. Uh, and if Annemi had come out and said, you know. Uh, I, I mishandled this situation with Noah's Atzman. Uh, I should have acted decisively and quickly to defend our MPs. I didn't do that. And that uh, precipitated Jenna Gatwin's departure. And I apologize for that. Uh, personally, I would have I would have let it go as a member. And I think a lot of other members, too, would have readily forgiven Anime for that. Uh, what's most troubling to me is that to this very day, Anime does not accept any responsibility whatsoever. For Jenica's departure. She does not accept any responsibility whatsoever for the behavior of Noah Zatzman. In fact, she said several times, you know, Noah Zatzman doesn't speak for me, uh, only I speak for me. Well, she put him in the position of senior advisor. Uh, and I think that leaders are accountable for the misconduct of people whom they appoint to positions of authority. This isn't just true of Anime, I think it's true of any leader. You put somebody in a position of authority, for example, when Stephen Harper put Nigel Wright in a position of authority, uh, you know, he was criticized quite rightly for, uh, you know, Nigel Wright's behavior. And we could go on and on. There are plenty of examples of re more recently, Justin Trudeau appointing Julia Payette to be the governor general of Canada. And then there were very damaging revelations about how she treated her staff as governor general of Canada. Justin Trudeau was rightly condemned and criticized for putting her in that position. Uh, so I think Anime should accept responsibility for what her senior advisor, whom she appointed to that position, has done, uh, but she won't. And that, to me, is the most troubling aspect of this, uh, is that she, she so simply uh, is passing the buck. Okay. Um, and since we expect a federal election this fall, I'll actually give you the floor here uh, to talk about um, What's Green's like? Actually, at least your position on how the Green should approach this federal election, and I will. You can also um, criticize the politics of the other parties as well. Well, I think you know. I would say exactly what I said last year during the leadership contest. We should be champions of eco-socialism. 
Uh, and so, you know, what does that mean? That means that we should be uh, forcefully dealing with the problem of inequality. You know, 10 Canadians have about $65 billion of wealth. It's probably more than that now. Uh, you know, whereas tens of thousands of Canadians are living in the street. It's outrageous that we allow people to have so much wealth. It's outrageous that we allow people to be homeless. It's outrageous that we allow millions of Canadians, many of them children, to live in poverty. So, uh, you know, we should be uh, aggressively advocating for a substantial wealth tax, uh, for a cap on wealth communication, a hard limit uh, on uh, increasing the top marginal tax rate, eliminating favorable treatment for capital gains, uh, a guaranteed basic income, a very healthy one to ensure that nobody falls into poverty. So that's number one. Number two, we should be anti-militarists. We should be arguing for drastic reductions in military spending and the reallocation of those funds to dealing with the climate crisis. Uh, we should not be buying these crazily expensive and deadly new fighter jets or these 15 surface combat vessels that are going to cost an obscene amount of money. Uh, thirdly, we should be champions of human rights, and that means that we should stop supporting human rights abusers, not just Israel. We should stop arming the Saudi autocracy. We should stop engaging uh, with Americans in you know, uh, conflict zones like Syria, Afghanistan, Ukraine. We should withdraw our forces and engage in true dialogue with other countries and particularly here, I'm thinking about China. We've adopted a very belligerent attitude towards China. Uh, China uh, is, without China's cooperation, we cannot resolve the climate emergency. And I think we should be doing everything possible to improve our relations with China and to deal cooperatively with not only the pressing question of the climate crisis, but also the proliferation of nuclear weapons uh, and uh, with the questions of global inequality, uh, the question of vaccine apartheid. We should be trying very hard to resolve that by dealing with you know, powerful, well-resourced countries like China. But Canada has basically adopted the American position of being very belligerent towards China and towards Russia. Uh, so I think that we should be, uh, as a party, adopting, uh, advocating for an anti-imperialist, uh, uh, a truly peaceful, cooperative, multipolar approach to foreign policy. Uh, and if we do that, I think that that is the way we will grow our party dramatically. If we continue to try to be just, you know, liberals with an environmental conscience, which is more or less what our party has tried to be over the last 10 years, we are never going to acquire enough support to actually have a meaningful impact on uh, the political landscape on this in this country. Mm -hmm. So I, I, you know, to sort of underline it, in the coming election, I think we should be radical. We should be radical, we should be unabashedly left-wing, and we should espouse eco-socialism and I think people will be amazed to see how many Canadian voters will enthusiastically support this party if we were to do that. Mm -hmm. And do you have any, currently we touched a bit upon the Liberal Party, the Conservative Party, do you have any criticism towards other parties? Well, yes, of course, the, you know, the Conservatives and the Liberals, they, they make this big noise about being, you know, uh, at odds with each other and of having different programs. But if you actually look at the Liberals and the Conservatives, in a realistic manner, they agree on 90% of the issues. You know, when it comes to taxation levels, when it comes to foreign policy, when it comes to climate policy, they are essentially in agreement. They are both parties of the right. The conservatives are a little bit more right-wing than liberals, but they're both right-wing parties. They're both parties that favor the wealthy over the poor. They are both deeply ensconced in a neoliberal 
ideology. And ultimately, if we continue to elect the liberals and the conservatives to power, we are going to see a continued deterioration in our democratic institutions. And ultimately, we will see a destruction of the planet on which we depend for our very survival. They are pursuing policies that will lead ultimately to the extinction of humanity. And so when people can, you know, it, it, it's one of the most galling things to me as as a political candidate and as a commentator on political affairs in this country is that the liberals and conservatives are constantly being presented to the Canadian public as moderates, as pragmatists, whereas those of us who are advocating for the types, types of transformational changes needed to save our planet, we are being uh, presented the Canadian voters as extremists. Uh, in fact, the opposite is true. Those who are defending a suicidal status quo, namely the Liberals and the Conservatives, are the extremists. Those of us who are advocating for the policies necessary to save our planet and to have a healthy, robust democracy, we're the moderates. We're the pragmatists. And so we have to you know, begin to reject this, this conceptualization of the left and the right, which we have been deceived into buying into over the years by the corporate media in this country. Mm. And s speaking of criticism more towards Liberal Party and the Conservative Party, do you have specific examples of policies that they have enacted that you disagree with? Well, sure. I mean, you know, one that stands out for me, this is the, one of the most appalling examples is, uh, you know, recent polls have repeatedly showed that the vast majority of Canadians support a wealth tax. And we're talking about a very modest wealth tax. One percent of, of of assets, of familial assets in excess of $20 million. That's a very, very weak wealth tax. There's overwhelming support for that wealth tax in this country. And something in the range of 84 percent of people who identify as Liberal Party supporters support the, that wealth tax. And in excess of 60 percent of people who identify as Conservative Party supporters support that wealth tax. And yet the liberal leadership and the conservative leadership want nothing to do with the wealth tax. To me, this is the ultimate demonstration that the leadership of the liberal and conservative parties, they do not exist to serve the interests of Canadians. They exist in order to cater to the needs and demands of the wealthy. That's exactly what they're there to do. And they are lying to us when they present themselves as the defenders of the interests of ordinary Canadians. They're just flat out lying. And, you know, we shouldn't be... Uh, hesitant or timid about saying that in Canadian politics. It needs to be said. It cannot be said often enough. They are lying to us. Okay, then one final question to you, since this is one party that we did not talk about during this entire interview, which is NTP. So um, in the end, why are you a Green Party NP and not uh, part of the NTP? I actually have been, uh, you know, for brief periods of time, uh, I was a member of the NDP. Uh, I, I uh, I was an ND, a member of the NDP, for example, when Nikki Ashton was running to be the leader of the NDP and I was supporting her bid uh, in every way that I could. Uh, I've got a lot of respect for Nikki Ashton. Uh, but ultimately, you know, I uh, am a Green and have been a Green for the vast majority of my political life because the NDP uh, at the leadership level is not uh, pursuing policies that are responsible from a climate perspective. You know, they're simply not. Like, for example, you know, our party uh, supports the banning of fracking. This is a no-brainer. Not only is fracking destructive, is exacerbating enormously the climate crisis, but it's poisoning our water, it's poisoning our soil, it causes earthquakes. You know, in every imaginable way, fracking is destructive. 
and the NDP refuses to support the banning of fracking. The Green Party does. Uh, the Green Party is taking a much more assertive position when it comes to the carbon tax. Uh, you know, the Green Party in BC have opposed the Site C dam. Uh, it opposes the logging of old growth forests, whereas the NDP under John Horgan in BC is allowing the logging of old growth forests, supports the Site C dam, supports fracking, supports LNG. So unless and until the NDP leadership adopts responsible environmental policies, I cannot support that party in good conscience. And I see absolutely no indication that either provincially or federally, that's what the NDP is going to do. Perfect. Well, that's it for all my questions. Thank you so much again for coming and we'll close it off here. Thanks very much.